Hello, dear listener. I'm Ezra Santana, and I'll be your host for this podcast episode. I'm currently halfway through my last year of the Journalism and Communications program at Holland College, and the podcast that you're currently listening to is part of my creative nonfiction final project, which also includes an article series on the topic of transgender rights in PI. For this episode, I had a chat with my roommate and friend, Christopher Crocker, who has recently started looking into gender-affirming healthcare for himself, and that was the first thing I decided to ask him about. Before we get right into it, I'd like to give a small trigger warning, as we will be discussing the September 20th protests, which were vocally against 2S LGBTQIA+, and particularly gender-diverse education in schools. We will also be discussing our experiences as trans people, getting misgendered, being perceived in gender ways, not having supporting families. So if any of these topics could be triggering for you, please be careful and make the best decision for your well-being. Now, without further ado, let's get right into it. Hello, everyone. This is your host, Ezra Santana. I'm a journalism student at Holland College, and this podcast is part of an article series I'm writing on the topic of trans rights in PEI. I'm a trans non-binary person myself and also identify as queer in all ways you could go. Um, and I'm here today with Christopher Crocker, a.k.a. my roommate. Um, <laughs> he is an inclusion support worker, works at a daycare, and um, also identifies as queer in many ways. So, hello. Um, hello, hello. <laughs> if you could introduce yourself, explain how you identify. Oh, sure. Um, I, like I, they said, I'm Christopher. I also go by Chris. Um, I am recently figured out out my to myself really um that I am a trans man so I've started like this whole process um that's been pretty exciting so ready to get into it because the topic is transgender rights in Prince Edward Island I find it important to interject and point out that I'm not originally from PEI in fact I'm not even from Canada I was born and raised in Brazil, moved to New Brunswick in 2019, and to PI in September of 2022 for college. Christopher is also not from PI, but he is Canadian. He was born and raised in Newfoundland and moved to PI five years ago. So we both have had some experience on the island, him more so than me. And neither of us plans to leave anytime soon, so it's important for us to get involved with our community as trans folks. Yeah, so um, you've recently started wanting to navigate the um, gender-affirming care system and I just want to know how you feel like the experience was for you going into the gender-affirming care clinic here in the Charlottetown area and you know having your first appointment there. It was really good like I didn't really know what to expect like I kind of assumed it was going to be like an information appointment because I feel like all first appointments are about very serious things like mental health and gender-affirming things, which is also part of your mental health, if you're being honest. Um, there's usually, like, the sit-down, get-to-know. Like, it's even, like, with therapy and stuff, you don't just go in and start letting it your whole life story. You need to get to know each other. Like, you need to get the whole information drop of, like, the confidentiality and stuff, too. So it was just, like, it was kind of what I was expecting, but also it was, like, I knew it was going to be information, and I knew it was going to be information about me, but I just didn't know what type of questions he was going to ask and stuff, and then it was just, like, it was really weird, because I didn't prepare anything beforehand, because I was like, well, it's my experience, so I just got to talk about me, and then 
I started talking about me, and then I was talking about me about things that I've never thought about before. Like, I was just admitting to things that never crossed my mind until that exact minute. And then I was like, oh, that explains why I felt like this. And I just, like, never connected those dots until someone was, like, going back and forth with me. And I was like, oh, haha, lol, that's funny. That makes so much sense. (laughs) Yeah. Do you feel like the questions that were asked of you, do you feel like they were adequate? Do you feel like they were too personal? Did you feel like, like, how did you feel about those? Um, I'm someone that, like, doesn't have really any boundaries when it comes to talking about certain things, especially when it comes to, like, medical people. Like, if me telling you my whole life story is going to get me the help that I need, I've learned to just, like, talk about it. But I also, like, I also trauma bond with a lot of my friends. So, like, just, like, openly talking about things that have affected me and stuff like that is just, like, a normal day for me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, like, I didn't feel like it was, like, I wasn't, like, pressured or anything. And, like, the entire time he kept asking me, like, we don't have to talk about this if you don't want to. And he kept, like, making sure that I was okay throughout the whole thing. So it wasn't, like, even if I didn't want to talk about it, I didn't have to. But I think I'm so accustomed to talking about things that for me it was just like an easy breezy I didn't even know like an hour hour and a half passed until he was like well it's time for you to go and I was like what but we're not done yeah (laughs) there's still so much to talk about yeah um yeah and for context here um I did accompany him through it but I basically just sat there and just watched I was there for emotional support you were just a pretty face in the background Bruce loved you (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why I was literally just sitting there um but it wasn't an in-person thing I mean we were in like Mm -hmm. one of the rooms at the clinic but it was through like a it was a teams or zoom it was teams. teams it was like a teams call and then there was like the medical professional that was asking the questions and then a few social workers that were like in on it to mm-hmm. listen in and maybe help out. Ezra here for some more context. Bruce Davison, whom Chris mentioned, was one of the social workers in this call. I actually got to interview him a few days later when I contacted Health PI to talk about gender affirming care for an article I wrote on the topic, which is also under the same project and is available on my website, EzraCentena.com. Shameless self-plug here, but this is my podcast, so who's going to stop me when I'm the one who makes the rules, right? Uh, yeah, and the social workers, like if you are thinking about getting some care for yourself, they don't have to be in the room, but like I said, I'm pretty open about things. Like I don't care who knows my story at this point. I'm someone who's pretty confident in who I am, what I am. So like, I, he was like, well, you can kick us out. And I was like, absolutely not, You whatever. You're already here. I don't care. The next thing I decided to talk to Chris about were the gaps still present in the gender-affirming healthcare system in PI. I did hear from um, people in the community, particularly from Lucky Fusca, who is the executive director for the PI Transgender Network, that the gender-affirming care um, here in PI is actually one of the top ones in the country. Oh, um, really? In terms of how many procedures are covered. Um, because they did update it recently. Um, yes. There was a yeah. lot of, which I also heard from uh, Lucky, that a lot of the procedures that are more associated with like feminizing procedures, particularly things that a lot of uh, trans women are looking for, 
um, weren't really included mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. they wanted they weren't seen as being as necessary as like traditionally like masculinizing mm -hmm. procedures. No, we were looking at the pamphlets at the clinic and they didn't have like they had like the masculine chest surgery, the masculine yep. bottom surgery, I yep. think, and then it had like the feminine Yep. bottom, I think. Maybe yeah. I, it had one, but there wasn't a lot. But and I do, yeah, I do have a list, but it's all the scientific names of what is and isn't included. Mm. But I do know that a lot of the um, more feminizing procedures are not included. They're also not including like voice therapy, other Ooh. things like that, um, That's to fun. help with people who are seeking to change their voices, because that can be like a whole other mm -hmm. can of worms to unpack, especially if you're going through um, hormone therapy. Yeah. And so it's not just my words. Here's Lucky Fusca talking about this topic. The Health PI recently, and that was um, in part informed by the steering committee that I uh, was really honored to sit on. Um, so the new surgical policy was just published very recently. It was very, very delayed. Um, and the previous surgical policy um, was one that was uh, misogynistic. Um, it really didn't center um, or provide the current needs for trans women, um, as well as folks that uh, don't identify as trans women, uh, but are interested in um, pursuing what would be kind of categorized as feminizing procedures. So it's really wonderful to see that we now are in a place where the misogyny was, um, you know, called out, called in, um, and that we were able to see Health PI put in some efforts to, um, you know, talk to folks from within the community that were impacted by um, the lack of expansiveness that was needed in the previous policy. Uh, and we're in a place now where the current gender-affirming surgical policy on Prince Edward Island is actually one of the most inclusive and expansive policies across the country, which is really amazing. It feels really, really cool to be in a province and to have been part of a process where um, we went from very much lacking and missing the mark to being like a leader um, as far as our, our policy goes. There's still a long ways to go. Yeah. And Bruce said so himself that um, it's not perfect, but that they're really trying. I mean, there's only so much you can do in PI that's like a small island. Mm -hmm. um, our healthcare system here is going through a lot <laughs> right it's now. It's taking some hits right now. Yeah, like um, we've it's been seen, taking some hits from a while. Yeah, we've seen hospitals closing all over. Um, going to the hospital right now is more of a pain than going through something. It's a non-paid eight-hour workday. <laughs> yeah, you just sit there for hours. And it, the system is so overburdened. And when it comes to a lot of specific um, medical procedures or treatments, people have to go off island to get mm -hmm. them, mm -hmm. uh, which is another burden on the system because then they have to, you know, pay for those procedures, mm -hmm. get uh, figured out how they're going to send people there. The and then there's and like, also like funding. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's also like another thing, too. Like you don't want to send just like 
some like fresh 19 year old kid to Montreal by himself just to go get yeah. some surgery done you have to send somebody with them or else they're gonna have to pay for it and that's just like oh Lucky also shed light on this topic so let's hear from them um, where we see very detrimental gaps in the system currently is that one, uh, the PI's healthcare system, as, as many people know, whether you're trans or not, um, is crumbling. Um, we see hospital closures on a weekly basis. Um, I don't have a family doctor. There's many people that I know that don't have a family doctor, so we're relying on overburdened um, uh, walking clinics, Uh, you know, I also have a chronic autoimmune disease and I haven't had any follow-up care on that in years. So it's like when we're talking about healthcare, we're also recognizing that that's within the context of like trans healthcare as being something that uh, is already so underserviced um, in a system that is severely overburdened so we're already starting at a point of like really wild disadvantage uh you know there's nowhere on PI as of right now um where we can continuously send people to either receive um like post-operative care that's not the gender affirming care clinic um or UPI is gender affirming care clinic um and even that the wait lists within both of those clinics are usually between three to six months so even that we're still looking at some barriers uh we've seen a lot of progress but three to six month wait times are also something that um it's mindful of the impacts that that would have um on individuals trying to access life-saving supports Um, and, you know, having to travel to Montreal, like that is completely inaccessible to so many people. Um, it means you're taking time off work and not just you, that somebody who would you would need to have as part of the um, process and requirements as a support person to come with you. Like that person would also be needing to take off work if that applied to them. Um, you're looking at travel costs. You're looking at um you know, post-operative materials like gauze and other, um, uh, you know, like pillows. <laughs> like there's so, uh, quite a long list of things that really add up to thousands of dollars. So even though the surgical policy does cover a lot more than what we saw in the past, um, there's still so many expenses that aren't covered, which is what we're working on as far as developing um, and looking into funding sources to not just bridge the financial gaps, but to also bridge the gaps in supports as well, um, which is where that cool kind of peer support could come through. The PI Transgender Network is working on this peer support program, which they're waiting to get um, funding for. Um, but the program would basically be like pairing um, people who are going through transition or thinking of going through transition with other members of the community who already Have. went through like oh. similar procedures. So what? So, yeah, that would be so smart. Cause I, like, cause I would have so many questions, and I feel like mm -hmm. if I would ask another person who's like been through it, because like, as much as like I am a trans man, and like I do want to like start tea, and I do eventually want to get like the surgeries and stuff, it's still a very scary process. Yeah, I am changing the body that I am in, and I'm someone who's very much like, I wouldn't say I'm at home in my body. But I know that my body is what I've got right now. And mm -hmm. my body is one of the only things that keeps me living. 
So if I do things to it that damage the body, yep. I don't have another one to pop into, you know what I mean? So it's like, it's very scary. And I think if I were to have a sit down conversation with someone who's been through it all, who's like, yeah, like it is scary, but like, yep. this is what happens. And like, this is how you overcome them kind of thing. Or like, well, yep. obviously not because everyone's a little different, but like how I've overcome them kind of thing. It does help, yeah. It would definitely help. And I think that's so genius. Yeah. It's like um, the big brothers, big sisters, but like. Yeah. And it's for, like the way they <laughs> want to go oh, about stop. it is very like they want to pair people that want to go through or have gone through the same type of procedure because that is like that is like that helps even more so like Mm -hmm. an example like gave me was like say you want to go through chest surgery and you want your nipples completely removed Mm. so they would want to pair you with somebody that has gone through the same procedure and got their nipples removed and everything because then you have somebody who's like obviously Mm -hmm. it's not going to be the same for everyone so Mm -hmm. When you go through a surgery, obviously your body's gonna react different. You're gonna right. react different, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but um, different medications. You if have you're yeah. yeah, there's a cold. But cold you thing. have somebody who went through basically the same procedure <laughs> to give you guidance, to help you out. Because even if you have a support system like friends, family members who are there to emotionally support you, like you're starting to get into your. Um, process but I'm not so I can't yeah. help you with that I can't be like oh this is what's gonna happen to you this is what's yeah. not gonna happen all I can do is just be there and be like hey like I'm here I mean you're still at like the questioning part of yeah. your process too right like you don't know quite yet where you want to dip your toes and where you don't want to dip your toes yeah. where I'm like full throttle I'm doing this <laughs> <laughs> I, d- I didn't even test the waters I just jumped in there We're might be alligators yes. there might be alligators but you know yeah. Surviving. It's okay. yeah. So it's like very different because like the type of support that I can provide is not the same as somebody who knows and went through all mm-hmm. of this. So I feel like that is um, a program that I mm-hmm. think would be very beneficial to the so community as beneficial. a whole. And I'm hoping that the government and PI um, sees the benefit in that. But like even if it's not like, even if you could do that, like, kind of like big brothers big sisters where it's like you're pairing someone who's like been through like the entire surgery with someone who's just like just figuring it out yeah like imagine just like because like you have your questions answered and right everything, yeah. but it's also like if you're so little yeah you know you're so young you don't know anything about your body you're in now let alone what you want your body to be like yeah. so if you talk to someone who's like hey i've been there yeah i feel like it would just like like one-on-one too like to be able to get down and like because like sure you can have like presentations and stuff and you can ask questions but then you're in a room with a bunch of other people and you can't trust that all the people are going to think the way that you think yeah but to be able to ask those questions without that judgment yeah also because like even if information is available through like you could you could contact the gender affirming care clinic and ask questions but chances are they're very overburdened they Mm -hmm. got a lot of people to take care of and then sometimes people just feel like like why would I bother to like call Mm. the clinic or go to like health PI or go ask somebody just to ask like one question about what this is gonna it's also another thing too if you call the clinic you're not guaranteed gonna talk to someone who's knowledgeable on that been through it either right like I feel like it's such that's so smart to pair up people who have been through the trenches Right. With people who are like, what's a trench? <laughs> right. You know, I, I think that's I really, so. Yeah, I really hope that's that so they cool. can get the, 
the support that they need for that. The next topic Chris and I decided to dip our toes in is the challenge of advocating for transgender people on the island. Right now, there's really only two people that get paid in Prince Edward Island to advocate and like do work specifically with trans people, yeah. and that would be Lucky and Anastasia over at Peers Alliance. So, Interjecting here to explain that Anastasia Preston is the trans outreach coordinator for Peers Alliance and does full-time work directly related to the trans community. Um, they, the two of them are wearing so many hats yeah. when it comes to the trans community. They're doing so many things. It's a lot of work for it's only two people. It's very Yeah. They're going to reach and burnout, you know. They're wanting to, you know, expand um, PI Transgender Network and get more support. But it's really, like, complicated, especially because, like, some of the stuff that they're working on, it's, like, over a year of, like, work on, like, a project or something like that. And then Lucky has, like, a contract that only lasts one year with the government. Mm. So, like, they don't have any certainty when it comes to, like, the future of the organization. Um, And when I was chatting with, I reached out to a few um, MLAs here in PI to talk about um, trans rights. And um, a few of them agreed to talk, but the only one who I actually ended up talking to was... um, MLA Carla Bernard, she's from uh, the Green Party, and she mentioned the fact that she hopes the government here in PI is going to be providing more funds and more support for organizations like PITN. And here is the MLA herself on this topic. As elected representatives, that we keep that we keep moving that marker forward and that we listen to the communities and that we fund them appropriately. I know PEI Trans Network right now um, doesn't have an office space. And one of the things that they really wanted to offer the community after the, the protest was a safe space to debrief and to be together. But they couldn't offer that because they didn't have the space nor did they have the funding to, to go find a space. Um, so it's listening to the needs of the community and responding as best we can and bringing those forward. When I was talking to her, they actually didn't even have an office yet, which oh. they do now. Oh, good. But um, it's a space, it's shared with Creative PI, which is not like necessarily a bad thing, but it's not as private of an office space. space. Yeah. yeah. Because Carla brought up the protest, Chris and I ended up discussing a little bit about that as well. I know it was kind of shocking to all of us queer people how many aunties there were out there. But I think... I would hope that it was just as shocking to the government to see how many of us are out there. Like, we're not going to take this. Yeah. And we will stand up for ourselves. Yeah. It's very... I'd like to clarify that I was not out there. I was scared at work. That was the whole I was scared at work, so props to all you little, little, little trans humans out there and allies out there. That was not me. Sorry. Yeah. I was at work getting protected by my cishet um, corpers. <laughs> yeah. I was at school. Um, one of my classmates went to the protest as a reporter, but he is a cishet white man, and I am not. That classmate is Ian Barkley, who wrote an article on this and other similar topics. You should totally check out his work. So I just thought, well, I have class, and even if I were to go by myself, I would not feel safe. I don't have anyone I know to go with. Um, and, yeah, it was a very... I guess you could have went with him. He was a big, 
burly yeah. man. But even he was attacked on well, his I own. Well, so I know, I like, know, but, like, oh my God, yeah. you could have sheltered yourself behind him or something. That is true. Some scary pictures from behind but his ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get the, get the photos. Um, but, yeah, I feel like it's always shocking because I live in such a bubble. And I whenever I realize how many people out there not only disagree with me, but, like, so how many people hateful. disagree with my existence? That's true. That's it's also true. It's just so shocking to me. Like, I, because I just, I don't understand. And I heard this from, like, so many people. Like, I don't understand. Even the MLA, uh, Carla Bernard, who is just, like, she's just, like, the cis hat. I think she's. The lady, yeah. I think she's straight. Um, she's just, We're like, assuming this lady. Her, but, yeah, you know. just, like, white lady. <laughs> and even she was, like, I don't understand. Once again, here's MLA Carla Bernard. I just find it a really hard topic to talk about because I, I just find it very confusing. I don't understand how anyone could go against those, you know? And, and as we consider all the different reasons why perhaps they do, like whether it be the way they were brought up, whether it be, you know, maybe they themselves struggle with, with gender identity issues and it makes them triggered because they were never given a safe space to come out. Maybe it's religion. Maybe it's, you know, all of these different things that it concerns me for our education system, because I know that the people at the brunt of all this are children and children have rights. Well, it was the same, like even at my appointment, like the doc, we were just like talking about things and like how I saw myself growing up and like the things I've pushed onto myself and how, like I'm trying to present myself in a way where people don't just assume things based by looking at me and he was like well people are always gonna assume things and then he started talking about like things like that and he was I was like the worst I get is being like misgendered and like I get it because like I'm still baby 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 process you know I'm still the very first stages so I understand why people aren't like oh right but it's like that's yeah. not even a thought in my mind because I'm just I'm so safe in my little safety bubble with my friends and my coworkers and even like my parents like at work like if there's anything being negatively said about me being trans in my child care center it's not coming back to me I'm not hearing about it no one's telling me that they're hearing anything about it like it's I'm doing my job I'm watching your kids I'm protecting your kids and so far, I've had no issues with it. So I'm so safe in my bubble. So when this whole, like, anti-trans protest happened, I was like, oh, shit. There's actually people out there who do not want me to be alive. Yeah. Which is I know. so crazy to think about. This is where Chris and I dive deep into our personal experiences as trans people. So please take care of your mental health if this is a sensitive topic. Um, I feel like I'm very privileged to be in the position that I'm in. Um, I don't have a supporting family. Um, well, my family doesn't <laughs> necessarily, question mark, question like, mark. yeah, they don't, like, my family's not the type that's going to kick me out of the home. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. live with them, but, like, yeah, when I came out, they didn't kick me out of the home. Mm-hmm. They didn't, like, all of a sudden start, like, uh, like saying a bunch of things. Yeah. yeah. No, it's the same um, like with I my mean, family. They did say a lot of things, but it didn't do anything to me physically, and I mm. think that's a privilege in and of itself. I wasn't that's harmed in any true. physical that's way. Very true. Um, I was very much harmed in an emotional, psychological way, mm. but um, 
I don't have a supporting family, but I do have a very strong support system. All of my friends are either queer themselves or mm-hmm. very much allies um, in my um, school or at least within the journalism program. My instructors, as far as I'm aware, are very much accepting. And even though they do slip on pronouns, I use they, them pronouns, by the way, um, even though they sometimes slip on pronouns, they do like Make catch themselves. Yeah. yeah, like uh, <laughs> these days I was just, I went into Sally's um, office Sally Pitt is one of my instructors and she just apologized she was like oh like I let it slip she and then when I thought about it I was I immediately <laughs> like, so caught myself cute. and I was like oh no She's so and I was cute. like no it's fine uh, don't worry about it um, so they do put in an effort <coughs> like when uh, Lindsay Carroll is another of my instructors and she wrote me a reference letter for something and she did make a point of writing all pronouns correctly, which I thought was, um, you know, that's very, so nice. yeah. That's so, so, I mean, I feel like, yeah. I hate that I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so nice. Because pronouns, I feel yeah. like it should be something that's so simple. Yeah. And I hate that it's like literally the simplest thing that we're like, oh my God, yeah. you care. Like, no. I feel like it's, it's so basic. Like, right? good for her for doing that. But I shouldn't be like, it mm-hmm. shouldn't be such highly praised. Like, goat star. Right. Like, I know. Even, even today. I was, I went out with like my work coworkers last night, and so like we went out for breakfast this morning, and um, I was like you know misgendered, and it happened twice, and one of my coworkers was like, "Does that bother you?" And I was like, "A little bit, but like not enough that I'm gonna like pick a fight." Because if I yeah. pick a fight about it, and then she turns out to be like an absolute monster, yeah. then it's gonna come back on me, and it's gonna be worse <laughs> on fire, me. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I feel like it's just like. I'll let it slide. I'm going to be out of here. I'll probably never come back, so it's fine. Like, don't mm-hmm. worry about it. And then kind of thing. And then it's just... Yeah. And then it instantly, like, right away, we saw somebody that, like, I kind of knew around. Mm-hmm. And they also said ladies. But then they were like, oh, and the little gentleman. And I was like, <laughs> that's me! So, yeah. And it's it's just like it balances itself out. Like every time mm-hmm. I get misgendered, there's always someone that like doesn't know what's happening, but comes back and just like pop, I'm yeah. right back in. You know, my day's going right back to where it needed to be, and mm-hmm. it's just like that's as bad mm-hmm. as it gets for me. You know what I mean? Like it's not like I'm over here yeah. getting a bunch of shit like a yeah. lot of them do, and I just yeah, I don't get a lot of the worst part of it because I'm very. I grew up sheltered, and I feel like now I'm sheltered, but in a different context. Yeah. Well, like, Um, you shelter yourself. You have your safe bubble. You might as well stay in it. And even my classmates, most of them are just cishet (laughs) white people who don't understand Mm -hmm. what it means to be queer, who don't understand what it means to be non-binary, who don't understand what it means to be trans. Mm. But whenever I read my peer feedback sheets... They're all using they pronouns, they them pronouns. Oh, that's so Which is very great. sweet. I mean, to be fair, I don't know who's writing them. I have no idea who's writing them. It's just them. like the same person. <laughs> this whole time I don't it's think been the it's, same I don't person. think so because it's not, they're not allowed. We're not allowed oh. to write peer feedback for the same person, like, repeatedly. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can tell by the way they write they that write they're it, yeah. different people. Um, but pretty much all of them used they them pronouns or just called me by my name, which I appreciate. Like, mm-hmm. if you're... Unsure. Like, if you're unsure, just call me by my name. It's mm-hmm. fine. Um, but, yeah, so it's very... It makes me feel very happy to know that I have that kind of... I'm I That I'm in that kind of environment. 
but it's still like very bothersome that people just perceive you in certain ways no matter what like when I go out when we go out people are just like oh ladies mm -hmm. they immediately jump to that conclusion just mm -hmm. because I present in a more feminine way which I do for <sighs> what is the word it's escaping me right now for practical reasons like it's just mm. I look more feminine because that's how it is unfortunately um, it is what it is um, that is Just how us. I look and honestly a lot of um, traditionally feminine <clears throat> like clothing jewelry are just prettier in my eyes so mm -hmm. I like to mm -hmm. use them mm -hmm. but it still bothers me that people jump to conclusions based on what I look like like I'm not gonna pick a fight just like you but don't like, but like even then like I would say I mean people have mistaken us for siblings before which is mind-blowing <laughs> to me that we look that like we look that related I mean, to be but fair, like, we're both if, kind of white looking if, so. if we're, we're tiny little white you know human beings yeah. like I'm guessing our face shapes are close enough like, I guess so. even with me wearing like my masculine clothes and like trying to be perceived as more yeah. masculine I still get misgendered so it's not even like your clothes that's doing it it's literally just the fact that people just people are just you, gonna look at you yeah. and you know and it's it just sucks that that's what it is but the fact yeah. that we get looked at and we get misgendered is like right at least like yeah honestly the least of my worries true honestly. <laughs> i'm over here you know bulking up to be a man <laughs> you know you want to you want to call me your cute little girl forever then um you're like okay you're not gonna <laughs> you're not gonna like the pictures i send you on christmas that's for sure oh um God. yeah no but yeah definitely we do have a very we are in a very good environment as of right now. Um, the whole, like, I never pick a fight because I feel like it's just not worth it because no. I, I get very tired of that sort of, like, conflict. And, um, like, I always go out of my way to not assume how people identify mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because I just understand the struggle. I'm just, like, I don't like being perceived, like let me tell you yeah. who I am. Don't, like, just assume things, right? Me and uh, one of my coworkers actually talked about that today because we were talking about how I was, like, misgendered or whatever. And I was like, well, in my head, everyone's just, like, a they, them until they tell me otherwise. Yeah. Because that's just, like, the safe middle. You yeah. know what I mean? Unless someone's like, no, I really don't like being referred to, like, because I'm one of those people that was like, I don't really like the term they, them, because it yeah. didn't fit me when I was figuring out my gender. I, if you don't know me and you're calling mm -hmm. me a they, them, then I'm like, yeah, sure, pop off. Yeah. But it's like, it's the same in my head. It's like, everyone's a bisexual until you mm -hmm. tell me otherwise, okay? I don't know which way you swing. I don't care which way you swing. But to me, you swing always until you tell me exactly which way you do go, because it doesn't yeah. matter to me. So in my head, you're just a black blob in the corner until you come over and detail yeah. how you are so it's just like that's just like the mm -hmm. mindset that I'm in and it's just like if it was important enough for me to correct you mm -hmm. then I would yeah like I was saying like if one of my like one of my coworkers, um he sometimes does slip up and I'm like, but he's trying. Like, he catches himself. Other people correct him. Like, he's aware of it. And he'll, like, compliment me. And he'll say, I'm a good man and all yeah. this stuff. But, like, you know, sometimes it does it does slip out. And I'm like, that's totally fine. You're doing you're doing great. Right. But, like, if it was, like, yeah. a constant, like, him constantly slipping up and him constantly forgetting kind of thing, then I'd be like, hey, 
like this is actually really bothering me like can, like I know you're trying but like can you do a little better kind of thing he would he really wouldn't care he'd be all for it he'd probably want me to call him out kind of thing but like <laughs> this random waitress at this restaurant this morning not worth my time yeah like it's just it's I'm not gonna pick a fight with some lady that right. I don't know because she doesn't know me that's just not right yeah it's yeah, I mean, I wish, as a society, we evolved. We live in a society. <laughs> no way. Oh, my God. As a society, I wish we moved on from the idea of boxes, of putting mm-hmm. humans in boxes in that way. Um, I feel like that's an evolution of our species that has to happen at some point. Mm-hmm. Can um, we all mutually agree that the only thing that should come in boxes is for Amazon packages? <laughs> yeah. There was one thing that Lucky said that I thought was very relatable. They talked about how if they were like in an island somewhere, they wouldn't be thinking about gender like ever. Mm. Once again, let's hear from Lucky Fusca. You know, some folks, even within the trans community, will put different labels or, um, you know, adjectives on me, like mask presenting. And even for me, like that doesn't sit right for me. um, I think that my soul is in this meat sack um, held up by bones, controlled by a nervous system. um, And the concept of gender doesn't feel like it belongs in me um and so the the concept of having any kind of um descriptors or interpretations or perceivals of myself um within the context of gender doesn't feel authentic to my own experience because I think if I had been plopped onto an uninhabited island somewhere in the (laughs) middle of the ocean um I wouldn't be thinking about gender ever Um, It's not something that would come across my mind because it's not something that I feel like I internally experience. And I was like, oh my God, that's literally me. A non-binary experience for you. Right, like I literally, like, I don't even understand the extent of like people perceiving me in a certain way or another because I just like don't think about it. Like, (laughs) I only think about it because people force me to think about it, right? Like, it's just like... Like, I don't, it's very strange, but, like, growing up, I just, I'm a girl, I'm a boy. It wasn't something that was in my head. Mm. I was just, like, I guess I am a girl because people keep saying I am a girl. We're coming to the end of our time here, so I just wanted um, you specifically to talk a little bit about what being uh, trans means to you. And what are sort of like the main things that you think as a province Prince Edward Island needs to improve on when it comes to like trans um, rights? I think in the simplest terms for me being trans is just trying to live the way that I always should have. Because not being trans means you're already living the way that you feel is right where anything outside of that would be trans because you grow up a certain way and now you have to, you know, it's almost like rewire your brain to be like, oh, that doesn't feel right, actually. So how do I get it 
to feel right. So it's just, it's like holding hands with being queer, you know? It's like, oh, look in my mind, like, I'm straight because everyone around me is straight and I have to be straight. And then all of a sudden you're like, whoa, that's not what it's like at all. That's not how my brain works. And I feel like being trans is no different. It's just rewiring your brain to feel the sparks connect. And then you're like, ah, there's the power. That's how, that's how it's supposed to be in the end. And it's just a process of getting there and what's right for you. Yep. What do you think, as a province, PI needs to do better? Probably better funding. Better funding and then more safety nets for not only us trans kids, but also queer kids in general. Um, especially queer kids and trans kids that aren't from our country because that's a double whammy on them and if you want to keep accepting all of these beautifully different cultural people into your home then you have to make sure it's an accepting environment for them and they just gotta work that out figure out how to do that I am not beautifully culturally diverse <laughs> um i'm as plain as mayonnaise <laughs> so i can't speak too much on that but i do think everyone deserves rights and i think that having multiple parts of you be a minority is not fair in the society that we live in and i think the government needs to shape up to make it fair to make it equal intersectionality is an important thing that a lot of the times doesn't get very considered um do you think that we could benefit from more like education for people from within and from outside of the community when it comes to like what is like to be trans what is non-binary like what does any of that mean um do you think that would help as like a community on the island for us to do better I think hearing um, things from someone in the community would help young members of the community who don't quite understand what they're do like what they're feeling, um, who are a part of the community and they just don't know it. Um, but I hate to say it, but I do think having you know, like if you have a group of cishet white people in a room, they're not going to want to hear from someone who's not white cishet. So I think if you want to be an ally, I think a way that you can help is just educating the people around you who don't want to hear from us. You know, to to be that step forward that we can't be for ourselves because they won't listen to us. And I think it's it's not a matter of like the queers fighting for the queers. It's not about our community fighting to keep our community together it's supposed to be all of us fighting to keep us all together and it's not going to work if it's just one way or the other you know i know pei has a lot of one-way roads but most roads are two ways <laughs> you gotta make it work guys
This was your host, Ezra Santana, chatting with Christopher Crocker and featuring Lucky Fusca, the executive director for the Piaget Jeder Network, and PI MLA Carla Bernard. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the end. Let me know how this episode went and how I can improve, and I will hopefully see you next time. Cheers!